of Matthew chapter number one. If you're glad you've been in church this morning, say amen. amen. If you came this morning believing God had something for you, say amen. 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 Look at verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Did Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the song service. God, we have been reminded of some wonderful truths and some wonderful realities. Lord, our sin is underneath the blood of Calvary. Lord, I'm so grateful this morning. God, you will not bring up my sin again. You've cast it as far as the east is from the west. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that when it's my time to stand before you, I will not have to stand and give an account for my sin. Lord, the price has been paid. Lord, I will stand and give an account for what I do for your name and for your glory. Would I allow this great salvation that you've given to me, God, I will give an account for what I do with it. Not just me, but every born-again child of God will stand before you and give an account. Lord, let that reality ring true in our hearts this Christmas season. Not just in the gifts that we'll give and not just in the meals that we'll prepare, but Lord, what are we going to do with our salvation this Christmas season? Father, I ask that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Would you enter out of myself and fill me with the Spirit of God? I pray, Lord, you just simply use me for your glory. Let me be a mouthpiece and an instrument in the hands of an amazing God. I pray, Lord, this morning be with the children's church, teachers and children that are back there, our nursery workers. God, I thank you, Lord, for a church that is willing to serve and help out as needed. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask you, Lord, this morning, there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. They know a lot about you. They've heard a great deal about you, but they don't know you. Lord, would you work in their hearts this morning, save them, and change their lives. So we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing, and thank you so much for listening and reading the word of God. And once again, I said it Wednesday night, the greatest thing we'll ever do in church is to open up our Bibles and read, Thus saith the Lord. This is an inspired book. It's a perfect book. It's a personal book. 
And really, it trumps anything I think I can preach. We'd be real good just to get alone with God's word and let God begin to speak to our hearts. But as we've been looking here the past few weeks, we've been tackling the subject of Christmas, the Christmas story, and what a story it is. It has not changed since it ever occurred. And I'm glad for that this morning because if the Christmas story changed, then the gospel would have to change with it. But I'm glad this morning that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that every year as the calendar rolls around to December, and as we get closer and closer to Christmas Day, and as we remember the reason for the season, we can go back to the beginning of Matthew, we can go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel and be reminded that yes, a Savior was born in Bethlehem to a virgin, and that babe that was born in the manger that night in the stable was the very son of God. He did not become God after a few years, but the moment he was conceived, in the moment that he was brought forth, he was already God in the flesh. And boy, we've been working our way, and, and I just give you, I'll give you an insight, I'll give you a spoiler alert. Next Sunday night, we are gonna look at Jesus, amen? Because I don't think of anything better to do, anything greater to do as we get ready on the eve of Christmas Day. Yes, kids are gonna be excited about presents, and yes, I'm gonna be excited about the food that may pursue in the following day, but may we just take some time and get our eyes off of everything else, get them locked back on to Jesus, and say, that is my God in the stable, in the manger. But we come here to Matthew chapter number one. We've looked at the wise guys or the wise men. We've looked at the shepherds. We've looked at Luke himself, and we've even looked at John the Baptist. And as we get closer and closer, we're working our way in towards Christ. We meet a man by the name of Joseph. If you were to put him in the Christmas play, he is not the star of the play, but you could probably call him a co-star. He's got a personal uh, uh, dealings with the star of the story. He's, he's touched him, he's heard him, he's held him. In essence, you really can't tell the story of the birth of Christ without Joseph. He is not the star, but he is essential to the story. But here's what's interesting to me. Matthew chapter one, verses one through 16 gives us the lineage of Joseph. How Joseph can trace his lineage all the way back to Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons and Joseph said, I am one of them and you may be too. But I can't say with full assurity. But he was, he could trace it all the way back to Abraham. But here's the interesting thing. We know that Joseph biologically, literally was not the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was espoused, engaged to Mary. And we know the, the Jewish culture in that time did it a little bit different from how we do it. Right, a man gets down on his knees and tells a woman of his dreams, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? And then they go through that period of engagement which leads to the wedding ceremony and then it is official. However, in the Jewish culture, when a man and a woman were a spouse, it was as if they were already married, but there was a time of separation and the groom would prepare the house and the living quarters 
And after that time of separation, they would come together and that marriage in the sense would be official. Mary and Joseph are there. This is where we find them in Matthew in the beginning of the Gospels. But Joseph was not the literal father of Jesus, not the biological father. And so to be completely honest with you, though it is interesting, it is not necessary for you and I to understand and to know the lineage of Joseph. There would be no literal purpose to it, for Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Jesus was and is the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. And really, it doesn't have any legal purpose, right? For due to his lineage, Jesus does not inherit anything from Joseph. Nothing is passed down from Joseph into Jesus' life. But we do understand that in the customs of the day, that in order for Jesus to be allowed to go into the tabernacle, not the tabernacle, but go into the temple, into the synagogues, we know that they went as father or as husband, wife, and children. And so we understand this morning why it was probably necessary and needed. We also know that Joseph and Mary were faithful to the synagogue. Matter of fact, at the age of 12, they had headed up to the temple. They had headed up to Jerusalem to worship. We know the account, Mary and Joseph, being wonderful parents, textbook parents, leave Jesus behind. And before we sit too high on our spiritual horses and say, I'd never leave Jesus behind, you probably have at least once in your life. But we know even in that sense, Jesus understood because Mary comes back to him, son, where have you been? He said, what? Wish you not that I must be about my father's business? I must be about pleasing my father. And Mary was reminded real quick who his father was. So why, if there's no legal reason, if there's no literal reason, why do we have the lineage of Joseph in our Bible. Well, I think it reminds us that God is a God of promise. It reminds us though Joseph has no legal rights, he has no, no literal biological connection to the Lord, God allows us to see that way back in the days of Abraham, God made a promise through Abraham that if Abraham would be obedient and follow him, then he would be a blessing to all people. And here's the thing, Abraham lived his life by faith. He left the earth of Chaldees, served God faithfully, and God blessed him mightily. But in the days of Abraham, Abraham had no idea who Joseph was. But can I say in the days of Abraham, God knew who Joseph was. And God was almost, in essence, Matthew 1 through 16 is God flexing his faithful muscles and showing you here's how faithful I am. Though these men were not perfect, these men not always do what they were supposed to do, God said, I was faithful to the promise that I made. But we also see, look at verse number 17. Interesting verse in your Bible. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. You have three 14s right there. Now there's probably some biblical numerologists multiply it by three, divide it by seven. 
add two to it because there's two testaments. You'll get a wonderful number. But here's what I, as I was reading this, I said, that's, that's rather interesting. 14, 14, 14. Those are all equal. And here's the interesting thing. Abraham to David was 14. From David to the taking away of Babylon was 14. From Babylon all the way to Christ was 14. In essence, you can't remove any of those 14 and still get the complete history. You realize the promise was given to Abraham. There was a promise given to David in those men like Jeremiah, those men like Isaiah who were writing from a time of captivity in Israel's history give us some of the most wonderful promises of a Messiah. And then Jesus comes in the last 14. In essence, this morning, you take away any of that, you don't have the complete story. And we sometimes like to think, boy, it sure would have been, I wish I could have been a Christian in the days of Paul, in the days of the disciples, in the days of Jesus. Can I say this morning, don't you dare forget that we are just as important and just as needed to be a testimony and a light for Jesus Christ as Paul was in his day, as Peter was in his day, and as all those who've come before us. May we not sit back and say, well, I think God's just done with us. I think God's given up on us. No, God has you and I here, the great commission still great, and we may not be in the previous 14 or the second 14, but we'll find ourselves in a last generation. May we stand faithful and true and be a witness of the gospel this morning. When we look at Joseph this morning, and though there are many things that Joseph was not, I noticed a few things that he was, that we should be as well. Notice, number one, he was a person of integrity. I was going to say he was a man of integrity, but I didn't want any ladies to feel left out. He was a person of integrity. Verses 18 and 19, we'll look at this as a person of integrity. Now, I'm not sure if Joseph had a life verse that when he signed Bibles, he'd put underneath his name. But if he had one, it probably would be Proverbs 22.1 which says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. <laughs> now here's some interesting things to think about. Obviously, Joseph was not a man of great resources. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Because when he arrived in Bethlehem, he didn't have a place to go. He didn't have a, a home. Let's go to the summer house in Bethlehem, Mary. Hang on, thank I'm glad I made a wise, wise real investment, real estate investment years ago. Now I have got a, I've got a, um, I don't, they didn't have a beach house. <laughs> I got a valley house in Bethlehem. <laughs> no, he didn't. Hey, he was just like everybody else. I need a place to stay. He wasn't a man of great, great resource. Nor was he a man who was a great persuader. How do you know, preacher? He couldn't even talk the innkeeper into a room for his pregnant wife. You ever met somebody they can talk you into anything? They can sell you anything. I don't think that was Joseph. <laughs> he wasn't a man of resource. He wasn't a man of great persuasion. He, he might have been a, a good improviser. <laughs> I can see him. Calm down, Mary. I know it's not ideal, but this stable will do. <laughs> It'll be okay. Don't worry, Mary. We won't be long here, and soon we'll be moving. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you read your Bible. That's how I do. <laughs> One thing the Bible does say about Joseph, he was just. Look at verse number 18. 
Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was fine with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse number 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. That word just means equitable, virtuous, upright, keeping the commands of God. Now this was not a title for Joseph in the sense that he was Joseph the just. But Joseph was just, or the Bible said being just. It wasn't a title that he wore or a moniker that he carried, but it was what he did and who he was. Not after the fact, but notice this, it was before the fact. Joseph didn't say, well, you know what? I'm gonna wait for Jesus to be born. Then I'm gonna get everything together and be the Christian I ought to be and serve God faithfully. Once God does this great thing, then I'll do that. No, Joseph said before all that, Joseph was known as a just man, a equitable man, a virtuous man, an upright man, keeping the commands of God. We would have said it this way, Joseph, he's good people. He's good people. Now we see this just side of Joseph displayed in two ways. Notice we see in this by what he was not willing to do. By what he was not willing to do. Look at verse number 19. Then Joseph, being her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example. I love how my King James Bible spells that. It puts the K on the end of it. Give it that accentuation, public <laughs> example. Here's the thing, Joseph, under the customs of the day, in the law of the land, he had every legal right, every social right, every family right to make a public example out of Mary. I don't think Joseph would have fit in in our social media generation. I think Joseph, I don't think Joseph would have been, I, I ought not to say anything, but I'm going to type out my rant. I'm going to type out my complaint. I always wonder about those couples that complain about each other on Facebook. Does that really help? <laughs> Does that really improve the situation? There was a lot that Joseph could have done to publicly shame and discredit Mary, so why did he not do it? Here's why. He'd have been wrong. No, no, she was with child before they had come together. He was not, he, he was in the right. No, he had been wrong because that child in the womb of Mary was not conceived out of sin, was not conceived out of an illegitimate relationship was not conceived out of fornication or adultery. That child in the womb of Mary was conceived by and of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph would have been wrong. Even though everything looks like he'd have been right. You know, the law said he could have gone as far as to having her put to death. <laughs> I'm glad we don't live in Bible days anymore. <laughs> Call the executioner in. Why? Well, honey, dinner was cold. <laughs> but not only because he would have been wrong, but he wasn't willing to make a public example, I think, because he loved her. And the Bible said love covers a multitude of sins. Not that 
Not that Joseph didn't acknowledge the fact that Mary was pregnant. Not that Joseph didn't believe that Mary was pregnant. Not that Joseph was going to turn a blind eye to what seemed like a difficult situation. That verse doesn't mean that if we love somebody that we don't deal with sin or we don't deal with issues, but rather instead of making the public example out of them, instead of making them shamed and, and put them down and beat them down, we come with a compassionate heart. We come with a heart that desires reconciliation and restoration and said, how can I help you? Let me ask you this, how many are glad? How many are glad this morning that those issues and that flesh of yours and that sin that you sometimes find yourself doing, that God is willing to deal with you on a private level before he brings it to a public level? Notice he was a just man because of what he was not willing to do. But notice he was also a just man because what he was willing to do. <laughs> Interesting, huh? How did we know his justification? How do we know he's a just man? Simply because of what he did not do and what he did do. How can you know a Christian's matured? Oh, by what they don't do and why, by what they do. Notice here the Bible said he was minded to put her away privily or privately. That word minded means it was deliberate on purpose. In essence, he didn't, he didn't put her on house arrest. Mary, you're not allowed to come out. <laughs> Don't you leave the house. Here's what's interesting. I got to think about this. Mary makes one journey that we know of while she is with child. She travels to the house of Elizabeth, her cousin. And there, within her womb and the womb of Elizabeth, there is a meeting that takes place. The Bible says they leap in the womb. John being full of the Holy Spirit. Preacher, how could that be? Ask a theologian. <laughs> I just know my Bible said he was. And I believe that he is and he was. But notice here, he, he didn't put her away and, and lock her up somewhere and don't you speak to me again. But rather, he knew how people were. How many know this world's a cruel place? How many know this world, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be guilty to be accused? And very well, he said, instead of you having to face all of that, I'm going to let you go see Elizabeth, and though she doesn't have an identical story to yours, she does have a rather similar story. And we also know that after she leaves Elizabeth, Mary gives us some of the most beautiful verses in our Bible as she glorifies and magnifies God. Now notice here this morning, he was a just man by what he was not willing to do and by what he was willing to. Let me ask you, if we had nothing but your actions and interactions to go off of, would we agree that you're a person of integrity? You're a person of just truth. He was a person of integrity. Notice number two this morning, he was a person of inflection. He was a person of inflection Verses 20 through 23 this morning. Now, now I, I know for sure that Joseph was a thinking man. Preacher, how can you be so sure? Well, the Bible tells us. Look at verse number 20. Well, he thought. He was a thinking man. <laughs> so many times, man, so many times, some preachers have the ability to take what God makes so simple, make it so complicated. He said he thought. He thought on these things. Not only did the Bible say that, but he was also a carpenter. By trade, can I say that is a thinking trade? How do you know, preacher? Because at one time in my life, 
I was a cabinet maker. And you just can't start cutting things, chopping things, gluing things, shooting things together and call it a cabinet. I remember when I was younger, my dad, this time every year, they would do those 007 marathons on television. We'd, me, my brother, my dad, we'd hop in the living room. It was the few times my dad ever watched TV growing up. And we'd hop in that living room and we'd watch 007 from Russia with Love and, and you know, all the other, nothing, I can't remember the names of them anymore. But I remember in one of those, Oban had that knife, he flipped that thing out, swoosh, man, that thing just stuck right in the guy. Nine-year-old me was amazed. I said, you know what? I found my calling in life. I'm going to be 007. So I went into my garage with my dad, and I said, Dad, I, I need to build a target. For what, son? I, I got to learn how to throw a knife. My dad obliged. He said, there's some scraps over there. Go, go grab you some, man. I, I grabbed about eight, seven, eight pieces of wood, and I nailed them, screwed them things together. It was just a pile of wood screwed together. No shape, no form. I, I walked to our garage door, and I sat it on one of those brackets in the garage door. I paced off a little bit. I grabbed my knife, reared back, threw it as hard as I could, missed the target, stuck in the garage door. <laughs> my dad said, you'll never be <laughs> 007. And right then and there, I gave up my dream of being an international spy. <laughs> but to be a carpenter, you've got to be a thinking man. That's where the phrase comes Measure twice, cut once. You, gotta, you can't just, you got to figure out how to put it together and, and, and what piece goes where. So Joseph was a thinking man. Not just in his work, but in his life. Now let me ask you, what caused Joseph to think? Well, look at verse 20. These things, all that has taken place, all that has transpired has caused him to think. Safe to say Joseph had a lot of things to think about, didn't he? How many of us this morning got a lot of things to think about? Well, life would be a whole lot simpler if we didn't have all them things <laughs> troubling us and bothering us, wouldn't it? We all said it's thinking much like ours turns to doubt and eventually discouragement. How can these things be? How, how did this happen? How, how do we go from doubtful thinking to determined thinking? Classic example, when it comes to sharing the gospel, what's your thinking behind it? I'm going to go out there, I'm going to share the gospel even though nobody really wants to hear it. Well, if nobody wanted to hear it, why did God tell us to tell it? <laughs> Change your thinking around. And say, you know what? I, I'm going to go share it with somebody because somebody needs to hear. Well, preacher, what if you go with that mentality and you share it with 500 people and none of those people get saved, get up the next morning, say, well, it wasn't none of them, maybe it's somebody today. And change your thinking. Here Joseph goes from a, a doubtful disposition to a determined understanding. And how, preacher, how did his thinking change? Well, notice he had his thoughts settled. In verse 20 and 21, he said, While well, he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now Joseph almost has an announcement that matches Mary. He just don't have the baby in the womb. And so now, Mary and Joseph both now have a word from God. And it's the same word. Very similar. 
that what was told to Mary was almost identical that was told to Joseph. What settled their hearts? Well, it was the word of God. God said his, <laughs> in one of the most settling statements a, a, a person can make, here's what the Bible says. I'm glad my Bible settles things, amen? I'm glad as it comes to a church, we are not run by a, a, a good idea or a, a business plan we borrowed from a Fortune 500 company at South Haven Baptist Church. The word of God is the final authority on all things of faith and practice. Why? The Bible settles things. And it settled Joseph. Not only did it settle his heart, it settled his thoughts, but notice this, it revealed the smallness of his thoughts. No doubt Joseph must have thought this was a great moment. God had given him a promise. Look at verse number 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son that shall call his name, G, or shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted God with us. Joseph said, this is a great thing. And as God said, you don't understand how great it really is. Joseph, this is wonderful for you, but Joseph, you're going to realize in verse 22 and 23, this thing's a whole lot bigger than you. May I encourage you sometimes in the Christian life, it's good for you and I to step back and realize and remember how small we really are in the scope of things. There are no big eyes and little U's in the eyes of God. But when we begin to realize that God has allowed us to be part of something that is far greater and far bigger than just ourselves, it's humbling, but then at the same time, it's encouraging that God would let somebody like me be so involved and so invested in something that is far greater than I could understand this morning. How do I know my thoughts are headed in the right direction? They help me to realize my smallness and understand God's greatness. Now, we know the thoughts that God has about us according to Jeremiah 29, 11. But let me ask you this morning, what about your thoughts about the Lord? What have your thoughts been like lately? Joseph was a man of inflection. He was a man of integrity. The notice number three this morning, he was a person of intention. He was a person of intention. Verse 24 and verse 25, and you go into chapter number two, Joseph made some deliberate choices. In essence, he made them on purpose and for a purpose. And can I say that this morning, if you're going to live the Christian life, you will live it by deliberate choices. You're not going to accidentally get up and read your Bible one morning. You're not going to trip into your prayer closet and the words just come out of your mouth. I don't know how I got here. And I said, there's never been a time where I stood behind here and, 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 and opened up my Bible and, and just out of nowhere, notes, and points and funny stories fall out of nowhere. It's a deliberate choice to sit down and to study. It's a deliberate choice to sit down and pray. It's a deliberate choice to share the gospel. It's a deliberate choice to live the Christian life. And we're going to see here this morning that Joseph made some deliberate choices. First of all, he was deliberate in his declaration. Verse 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took him his wife. That's a deliberate choice. But here's the declaration. And knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Joseph just to quiet all those who were doubting. He called his name Jesus. Joseph 
Why do you not? Joseph, why don't you save face? Oh, we, we understand Joseph. Oh, Joseph, come on now. We all know what really happened. We all know what really took place. We ain't going to call you out on it, Joseph. Just go ahead and give him your name. Nobody will ask any questions. Nobody's going to sit down with their calculator and figure, that's, that's six months too early. Y'all didn't separate like you're supposed to. And Joseph said, no, his name's Jesus. Because he's not of my, he's not, not, of, he's not of my seed. He's not, a, he's not my child. I, I'm not even his father. God in heaven's his father. His name's Jesus. He's come to save you from your sins. Do you realize that when Joseph named him that, there in the temple that day, when Joseph gave him that name and everybody heard it, they heard a name that they understood as the one who had come to die for man's sin. He identified him as the Messiah, the Savior that had been promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Joseph said, there he is, right there. He was deliberate in his declaration. He was also deliberate in his direction. Look over at chapter number 2. Verse number 13, we, we talked about Herod and the wise guys last week. But look at verse number 13. When they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord approached Joseph in a dream. <laughs> if I'd have been Joseph, I'd just stop going to sleep. <laughs> I'm going to stay awake. <laughs> Angels showing up, give me dreams, amen. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose... He contemplated about it. He, he hit himself really good there in Bethlehem. The Bible said, no, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. He made a deliberate choice to follow the direction of God. Do you realize that as a Jew heading down into Egypt was never a good thing? It was never a, a it, was, it, was, it was not the, the right path for one to be successful in the eyes of society. Our Bibles always picture Egypt as a place of sin. It was a place of, of polytheism. It was a place of paganism. It was a place of, of, of mysticism, a place of, of false religion, a place of fleshly living. And yet God said, hey, Joseph, go down to Egypt. And Joseph said, well, I'm not sure why, but that's where we're going. <laughs> I'm not sure how we're going to pay for it. And those wise men showed up. <laughs> Joseph said, we got some gold. We're going to be staying real nice down in Egypt. He was living in his direction. He, notice this, he saved himself. He saved his family. He satisfied the scriptures. All out of obedience, God allowed Joseph, who had no legal right to Christ, who had no biological connection to Christ, God allowed him to play an integral part. The fact that Jesus made it to Calvary 30-some years later in his life can be paid to that Joseph said, I'm going to go with God. I encourage you this morning, every decision you make to go in direction and in step with God, you may not always see the results of it here and now. We were doing a family, or Ancestry DNA. Me and Miss Becky were doing it. We, I think we did it sometime last year. And uh, along with the DNA test, they uh, allowed us to begin a family tree. And we began to trace back our lineages, our family. I was not surprised when one side of mine 
led back to Germany. <laughs> Get the last name Wagner because you're from Asia. <laughs> right? I was a little surprised one of my names led back to England. Come to find out way down grandpappy so-and-so. He was actually part of the Anglican church and was in charge of one of the abbeys there in England. I thought, that's rather interesting. But everywhere I looked, on my side of the family, except for one little group of crazy folks in Tennessee, Catholic, Anglican, state-run churches, there was a little group right there in Tennessee, they were Baptists. They were rough. <laughs> they was that so saved as by fire crowd. But here's what's interesting. We, Ms. Becky went down her family tree, and I can't remember what side it is. You can talk to her after the service. She remembers those kind of things. But down one of her family trees, and it's not too far back, she had a family member who was saved by the grace of God, was a deacon in the church, and helped plant a church there in Ohio, I believe, Pennsylvania area. We never knew that. And I just can't help but think maybe... Maybe through the Sunday morning, the Sunday night, the Wednesday night service, maybe that man and his wife got together and maybe they prayed for their children that they would serve God. And I don't know exactly how their children's lives played out, but I wonder if now they're in heaven and God reminds, hey, remember that prayer you prayed that your children and grandchildren would serve God and live for God. God said, I want you to see something. I want you to take it down to a little place called Hepzibah, Georgia. And there's a little lady right there. You never got to meet her. You never got to see her. But she is the answer to your prayer. She is faithfully serving her or, you, or me with her husband. And God is blessing and I'm blessing their church. And I'm using them in a wonderful and a mighty way just because you made a decision. To pray. Let me ask you, what decisions have you made on purpose for God? And you've got discouraged because it doesn't look like it's panning out like you thought it was supposed to. <laughs> Egypt. That place is scary. Them folks down there is crazy. I could see Mary. Joseph? Really gonna take me from a stable? To Egypt? On, on what grounds, Joseph? That's what God told me to do. Joseph, I could see Mary, well, well, yeah, I know what that's like. Boy, what a decision he made. Notice this, he didn't come back until God told him to come back. Can I encourage you to follow God? To listen to the Lord? Let him guide you and direct you? I read my Bible, the steps of a good man are still ordered by the Lord. And make deliberate decisions to follow Christ and to follow God. Even if you don't see, most scholars believe, most theologians believe that Joseph, because after these accounts, you don't really hear anything about Joseph. Most people believe he died sometime between Jesus Christ being 12 years old and starting his public ministry. We never hear from him again. And yet one small, great choice to travel to Egypt. <laughs> Joseph, in a way, preserved the life of Christ. Protected it in a sense. We know God's in control. He's sovereign. 
but one simple decision to follow God's leadership. Boy, how many are grateful for that this morning? Because God wasn't supposed to die in Egypt. He wasn't supposed to die as a young man or as a young boy, as an infant. God had picked out a place called Calvary. And there the Son of God died willingly and ready as a sacrifice for mankind. And Joseph was a man of intention. Are you still hoping that one day to live the victorious Christian life? Or has that become your intention? I will live as God desires me to live. It's going to take deliberate action, deliberate declaration this morning. It's going to take deliberate choices made to follow God.